where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. It's still so exciting to see people in person that we forget some of the little things that we typically do. But I do have my notes this time, so I feel like that's an accomplishment. And this month, we are starting a new sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes. The author of this book is known as Koheleth, which translates as teacher, but I affectionately like to call this person grumpy pants. If you've ever had your pursuit of happiness or wisdom or even peace of mind dashed, this book is for you. If the phrase is, I can't catch a break, what's the point, this stinks, or even I give up, you're gonna find a friend in Ecclesiastes. Listen to yourself to the poem that serves as the starting point for this book. We're reading right from the beginning of uh, chapter one. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. And all the streams, they run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages long before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. Okay, was that dismal enough for you? On the surface, you know, that those musings or those proclamations may sound like an intellectual crisis. More closely, though, it seems like an honest commentary on the duality of life, where proverbs say, work hard and you will succeed. Ecclesiastes says, hmm, don't count on it. It's not math, you see, it's life and our pursuits and logic are absurd. That's the vanity part, vanity of vanities. Life is absurd. Striving for success is futile. It's as senseless as chasing the wind. It's all vanity. It's all worthless, empty, 
and futile. It's a good thing there's ice cream today because this just <laughs> is the pits. What it does though, and you know, the commentaries around these scriptures encourage us to not take the tension out. So don't relieve the suffering, if you will, of, of these words. It challenges the ambition and the agenda of humanity in general. You know, what are we striving for? The emptiness of chasing after false promises. Or as Amelia said several weeks ago, it says we're really bad at knowing what will make us happy. It seems fair that the striving, the pursuit, the formation, and the development of anything is worth looking at. False promises exist everywhere. Just look at TV ads. The emptiness of chasing the illusion of happiness, it can seem so convincing and then so empty. Have you noticed this in your life? This thinking that this will make me happy? If I just do this, I'll be happy, or my life will have meaning? And since it's the 4th of July, it's also worth considering how Ecclesiastes challenges the ambition and the agenda that led to this country, and that still drives this country in some ways. It seems fair to say that striving for freedom and independence has had a sorrowful downfall. Slavery, which was not new, but now tied to racism. Extreme nationalism. Economic selfishness. Unbridled expansion. What remains to be seen is what we will repair and create in this generation and for future generations. Now, there is another side to Ecclesiastes. It's not all exasperation and futility. The duality includes an admonition to enjoy life. So, life is absurd. Enjoy it. No? There is this pattern, though, throughout the book of a negative evaluation, a social critique, a s and then the warning to enjoy life. It's interesting, isn't it, to look at it that way? I know you know people in your life and your family, and maybe you are that person that always has sort of the half-empty kind of evaluation. It's sort of like, boy, those bicycles, I can't believe how many bicycles are on the road. Oh, you're going for a ride? Well, have fun, but be careful. It's always that mix. Ecclesiastes' most popular words are found in the third chapter. You know these. Where all things are placed under the rubric of time. For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. 
And Robert has prepared some music to correspond with those words. You didn't realize it, but I was already playing music related to the scripture for the prelude today. I tried to program all seasonal music. So the first piece that I played was by Grieg, and it was called uh, Summer's Eve. The next piece that I'm going to play is from Tchaikovsky's The Seasons, and uh, he wrote a piece for each month of the year. I picked June. And on the topic of vanity, I always feel like June, I'm rising and rising in productivity as the days get longer, but then you hit that certain point and you realize you're already on the downhill to the the next uh, shortest day of the year. So anyways, I, I hope you enjoy the Tchaikovsky um, June. And I'll say one last thing, the last piece that I'll play for the postlude today is a uh, spring dance by Grieg. So we, we're kind of coming full circle in the year with all three of them. There's a wisdom that can be conveyed in music and a wisdom that's also conveyed in the words of Ecclesiastes. Do you know that feeling of what it's like to just be caught up in, in feeding the machine, if you will? Or like being part of a train that's on a track and you're like, where are we going? Why am I doing this? I think one of the easiest ways to see that and to see how it's changed in our lifetimes is to take a look at gender roles and to take a look at what family is. There used to be a really clear-cut image of family, a nuclear family. You know it, a mother, a father, a child, or 2.6 children and a dog. <clears throat> Think about how much that has changed. It's the thinking and the observation of Ecclesiastes that says, this is absurd. There are certainly more families than this, aren't there? And some of us have these different experiences of family within just one lifetime. So it really is the difference between saying, this is what your life should be, and this is what will make you happy, versus really listening on the inside and taking a look at the relationships that you're drawn to and the relationships that come into your life. I think that's the easiest way to explain the difference between the absurdity of this is the way it is and the freedom, if you will, to imagine something different. Not just the freedom to create something that's almost identical, but because you're in charge, you feel better. Consider that this day. Consider the ways of teaching and the ways of life where you have been told, if you do this, you will be happy. My father was convinced if I worked for an insurance company all my life, I would be set. I would be so happy because I would have a pension, I would have insurance, all of those things. That only worked for about 10 months. 
I'm sure you have your stories of the things you were told that would bring your life some measure of peace or happiness or contentment. Marrying the right person, living in the right neighborhood, having the right job. Thank God for the people that have broken out of those patterns and said, this is absurd. I want to invite you to do that for yourself also. And if you don't, if you have grandchildren, they'll do it for you. (laughs) If you have young neighbors, they'll do it for you. But you can also. I'm excited to see what our young people are doing and how they're putting together a life that makes sense to them. And, and that's where the, the vanity comes from and the intellectual crisis comes from. Because Jesus didn't say uh, the greatest commandment is to understand your neighbor as you understand yourself. I mean, I, I have, there are days when I don't understand myself. But the commandment is to love, not to understand. And perhaps through loving, understanding will come, but it may not. So the commandment is to love. And the teachings, even if we don't understand them, are to be followed. And perhaps understanding will come, but that's a bonus. That's not the essential. There are other biblical writers who speak to our deep yearnings and our futile strivings. That's the machine, feeding the machine, staying on the track at all costs, often the cost of our spirit. Isaiah 55 says, you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come receive grain and eat. Come without paying and without cost. That sounds absurd in a capitalistic country, doesn't it? Come and eat without paying and without cost? Why do you spend your money for what is not bread, your wages for that which doesn't satisfy? And that's our invitation to the table. We turn to a table that is prepared by our God, where the gift of life is broken open and poured out, not in greed, but in grace, not in power, but in peace, not in indifference, but in love, not in futility, but in joy. And we turn now to the one who shows us the ways of life that truly satisfy. We turn to Jesus who said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. We invite you to sing of this and to get a glimpse, a taste, and an image of what truly satisfies.